Welcome to the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm Lauren Deirda, an editor at Becker's Healthcare, and I'm thrilled to welcome Elaine Couture, Providence's Executive Vice President and Regional Chief Executive for Washington and Montana. Elaine has spent more than four decades in healthcare, and she currently oversees 11 hospitals in two states. Throughout her career, she has been a champion of women leadership and mentorship in the healthcare setting. Now, Elaine, could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and your career? Sure. Um, thank you for having me today. Um, I started out my career, uh, as in my professional career, as a registered nurse and did a lot of um, work on uh, in an in acute care setting in hospitals um, on different floors and, and different um, varieties of difference of patients. Um, and then uh, very um, quickly thereafter, went ahead and moved into man- supervisory and management um, positions, um, and then went uh, and changed my career path, even though I was still paid by an acute care hospital system, changed my career path to really focus in on occupational medicine and health, um, and have an opportunity to work with employers, and then got back into the hospital setting in the areas of quality risk, utilization, management, um, physician uh, services, and then also uh, became then a chief nursing officer, and then eventually ended up um, working as the chief operating officer of a a couple of hospitals, and then went to being the um, chief executive, and then led to a chief executive position in a larger region. So it's been a very rewarding career. I've had lots and lots of great mentors um, throughout my entire career that I've been blessed to have and thankful for. And um, I I just feel like I have gotten so much more than what I have given. Well, that's fantastic to hear. And, you know, congratulations on a really impressive career. I want to ask first about some of the challenges that female leaders face in healthcare. How have you seen some of those challenges or, or potential roadblocks that women leaders have changed over the years throughout the course of your career? Well, I remember when I was a senior nursing student, there was an administrator who came into a class uh, that I was able to participate in. It was for individuals that had a pretty high grade point average, and there were just a, there were just a few of us. I want to say that there were somewhere between ten and, and fifteen of us in this class. And at that time, uh, we had an administrator who came into our leadership class and talked with us about the responsibilities of um, of us as as nursing um, students to really think about how we would engage and become part of the leadership team in terms of uh, being in an acute care setting in the healthcare business. The thing though that I, I really am struck with is that at that time, uh, really he was talking to us more as to our accountability to be either directors of nursing, um, chief nursing officers, uh, but he never talked with us about really becoming the administrators of a hospital. And um, when I first started my um, career, I started at uh, a Catholic healthcare facility that uh, the, the, the leader there was a sister. And, um, and I was, you know, I had several sisters that worked with me during that time, and they were fantastic mentors and very quickly dispelled from my mind that the, the highest level in an organization that I could 
uh, achieve would be um, a nursing officer. Not to say that that's not an important level. It's a very important level in the organization, um, but that I should set my sights on what it was that I wanted to do rather than what was being defined um, for me by traditional male roles. And um, so I found that extremely helpful and always had, you know, my sight set on becoming a chief executive of a just one hospital. Um, and now I've, you know, had the experience of becoming the chief executive of more than one. So that's, that's one thing that um, has changed over the years, because now we're seeing many, many more females in leadership positions and um, are part of the, uh, you know, really part of the entire makeup um, of our senior leadership teams. The other thing that um, has changed over the years is that there were many times when I walked into medical staff meetings where there were no female physicians and it was all males um, and that I would might be the only female in a room trying to talk about, you know, changes in policies or, you know, getting buy-in from medical staff. And I've seen that change over the years as well. Obviously, we have way more female physicians. We have a lot of allied health professionals as well that have, have become, um, that are female and that it's not just dominated by the male population. And then in addition to that, um, over time in, in a senior leadership position, I found myself uh, many times being the only female in a, in a room with um, men and, um, and sometimes being uh, sort of shoved to the side, if I can use that word, because I was, you know, people would say, well, you're only a nurse. And then the other thought was, and you're only a woman. How could you possibly know? Even though those, those words never came out like that, um, you could tell there was that undertone in the rooms as we were trying to go ahead and discuss things. So, um, so those are some of the things that I've seen that have changed. I'm really excited that we are seeing more diversity in the boardroom and that we're seeing more diversity in um, senior leadership positions. Um, and that it's based upon now, you know, selection criteria in the process is based more on what, you know, what skills and um, talents you bring rather than uh, whether or not you're male or you're female. That's a great point and great to hear that things have been changing for the better, it sounds like. I would say now, so. You mentioned, absolutely. You mentioned that you've had many great uh, mentors for yourself throughout your career. Could you tell me what the best advice that you received from some of those mentors would be and whether that advice still would be relevant today? Yes. Uh, so, and, I, and one of the other pieces that I would say is that my mentors um, both were male and female. Um, there were many, um, you know, again, I, part of my mentorship that I had were with the sisters who uh, really taught me a lot in terms of how to uh, be present as a woman. Um, and then I had males who really saw something um, that I was able to bring that they wanted to go ahead and continue. So I've had great I've had great mentors throughout my career. The best advice that I've ever gotten from a mentor though is to always remember three things as you begin into leadership positions is that it's God, family, and then work. And to keep those 
to keep that into that kind of a balance. It's it you know, and when I say God, it is whatever somebody's religious um, or spiritual uh, sense of themselves. There's there's something bigger that you know that you subscribe to. Family obviously has to come above any time that you are thinking about work. And then work is last. If you keep it in that order, you will have balance. You will remember what's important in your life. And you will really be one of the better leaders. That's great to hear. And, you know, great advice, as you mentioned, for any leaders um, and aspiring leaders. Now, when you look at the um, people that you are mentoring today, whether they're male or female, what's your approach to mentorship and how do they differ between, you know, when you're mentoring a, a male versus a female? Well, um, I would say to you that the differences that I see between the male and the female um, uh, people that I mentor is that the, uh, that the males tend to come in with um, much more confidence sometimes than some of the females. And 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 even though I think that when uh, I've had males who have come in to me to start talking to me, and when you start listening to their stories, what it is that they want to do, you recognize very quickly that they don't have necessarily all the confidence either. But I think as females, we tend to talk about all of our weaknesses before we talk about our strengths. Or we, or we say, well, I'm not qualified to do that job because I haven't done everything there's nobody that's done everything. You've never you've never been in a job until you've been in that job, and um, and so you don't know everything that there is to do. And part of leadership is to um, always continuously grow. And so th- so that's where I kind of see the differences. I see that the males really tend to uh, come in with a little bit more confidence um, about where they want to go, what their goals are. Um, and and that they're not going to be as vulnerable. And I see the females being vulnerable and trying to uh, sometimes um, make up the uh, not make it up, but but they sometimes go ahead and try to make up for their any kind of their um, what they perceive as being their shortcomings. So I'm hearing you say that the men often uh, come in um, pro- projecting more confidence in the female um people that you're mentoring often will then come in um, recognizing or highlighting more of the, the shortcomings and trying to make up for them. And so I'm wondering for you as somebody who's mentoring these two different types of people, how do you approach them? Well, one of the, um, with the males is uh, one of the things that I share with them is uh, that it's okay to show their vulnerability um, and that that becomes really important because if you think of being a leader, the leader, um, I believe that one of the uh, things that is either easily is, is, can be lost very, very quickly is the trust. And one of the things that I think also comes with trust and leadership is how vulnerable you are um, and that you don't, you don't set yourself so far apart from the people that you're leading that they either believe that you're walking on water or that they don't know who you are and that you're just not approachable. So when I see males that are in that kind of a category, I always tell them, you know, it would be good for you to be uh, more vulnerable. And we talk about communication styles and 
what it's different when um, they talk versus how as a female I may hear what it is that they're saying. Um, having them understand where um, uh, sometimes like from my perspective, what, uh, what females are um, also experiencing as they hear some of these words. And I'll give you an example of this. When I was um, first in leadership positions and uh, sat in a boardroom in senior leadership team meetings, and I would, in, I would see males go at it. I mean, they would have, you know, there could be um, swear words that would be exchanged. Voices would get really raised, uh, you know, just all kinds of things. And they could just appear to be very angry with each other in the boardroom. And then later on that afternoon, they would go and be on the golf course and be best of friends. And that was a real hard piece for me to learn. Um, and I know that one of my mentors one time gave me a book called Hardball for Women. And it's one of the books that I recommend for all of my females that I mentored that they should read that because it really does describe the difference in how, um, how females and males tend to approach uh, approach different topics and, and especially in, in work. And the one thing that this book had pointed out was that, you know, females, we tend to be more relationship driven and depend. And we also, um, as females, if I think some people can relate to this, when we were little, we played house, we played dolls, we played, you know, dress up and all that other kind of stuff. And if um, something went wrong during the day, we would pick up our dolls and go home if we were playing with friends. And it usually was that we had to solve the issue before we could go ahead and come back together and play. I mean, you know, you'd always go back in and talk to your friends about how you were feeling or something like that, unless it was just something irreconcilable and then you wouldn't be with that friend anymore. Males, on the other hand, and this is changing a little bit in our society now, but, you know, males tended to play different sports and they would take off their, you know, their sport team sport so they could be on the field um, kind of going after each other. And then off the field, they could become really good friends because the next day they may be on the same team again. And, and I, so I think that there, and I think that that is changing in society, especially now when we have all of the uh, sports that are provided for um, girls, you know, growing up. Um, but I still see, even with my granddaughter, I still see that uh, she gets mad at her girlfriends and she's 10. Um, I still see that type of, of behavior where she's got to solve whatever the issue was, whatever they were arguing about or having a disagreement about um, before she can go ahead and go back into having the normal relationship. So with my females, I, I recommend to them several different books that I've read in the past uh, that um, that have been very helpful for me. And just to, it, it's not that these, you know, none of these books are, are um, the, the absolute final word and how everybody has to act. And some of the, some of the stuff may not pertain to people, but it just does give you that, that idea of how it's okay for me to be a female and I don't have to be a male to be a leader. That's great perspective and obviously a lot to think about. Um, love to hear how things are changing and, and really um, able to accommodate for both types of styles and approaches um, in the leadership roles. So that's fantastic. I have one more question before we um, finish up the interview here today. My last question is, what are you most excited about for the future? 
Well, the thing that in terms of healthcare, the thing that I'm very, very excited about are all of the changes that um, that we're going through in healthcare. And you know, this pandemic has been absolutely awful, but at the same time, uh, we were able to um, pivot very, very quickly and transform some of the ways that we're taking care of people, which I really think, you know, we're talking about health equity for, you know, for the first time. We should have been talking about that years and years and years ago. Um, you know, we're talking about where should people be receiving care in what different locations and so that it's not going to break them anymore. Um, we figured out how we can really deliver care in a different way, you know, through telemedicine and a variety of things. We've got more connectivity in terms of our medical record systems and um, our ability to connect in that way. Um, so I'm, I'm really, really excited about what healthcare will have in the future, and I anticipate that at some point in time I will be a recipient of those healthcare services, um, and, and I uh, will feel like I've had just a little piece of helping to change the healthcare system to the better um, uh, for for the future generations. And um, so, so that's what really that does excite me. Uh, when I think about uh, the health, you know, how healthcare is changing. Elaine, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a great conversation, really a lot of helpful tips and insights in here. So thank you so much, and I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Okay, thank you. Have a good day.